Hello, listeners. This isn't how we normally start a show, but that's because this isn't a normal show. We have promised you for the best part of two years that we would go out on the road. We also told you that the first thing we would do is to go looking for the werewolf in Canuck Chase. Unfortunately, that we is... Lied. We lied. <laughs> we lied. We lied, but not intentionally. It was Midsummer Eve by calendar last week. So um, you'll be listening to this possibly on Monday the 27th. This episode that you're about to hear was recorded the previous Friday. And there's a good reason for that. As you probably are aware, Peter and I live in um, a town which is near to the Cotswold district of the UK. Um, just uh, if, you, if you're in another country, just look it up. You'll see where it is. And in the Cotswolds, there are loads of standing stones. And those standing stones come with amazing stories and history, some of it real, some of it local legend. And we met up with a good friend of the show who have their own show, James from the Lawmen podcast. And we went to explore a standing stone just outside the village of Enston that is supposed to come to life on Midsummer Eve and either take itself for a drink at the local pub or at the local stream. (laughs) Opinions vary. But if you want to hear what it sounds like when three middle-aged men stand around for about four hours finding out whether a stone comes to life, this is the show for you. Oh, and I also bought my dog, and he uh, he makes some snores in this episode. But I think you'll find it a lot of fun. I'm not going to spoil the ending. You could probably guess it. But we have some great <laughs> stories. We've got some great anticipation. It felt like christmas eve in a funny kind of way it's uh, it's kind of like our version of of spring watch but it's basically stone watch and as ben said we were there for a number of hours but we've edited it down so don't worry it's not just us looking at a stone talking for four hours it was fun there's some good stories and you'll see whether this stone moved in the end or not i've always wanted to say this roll audio no how what what do they say the film's Q grams, Q grams. Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the Quantum Mechanics, the podcast that has accidentally gone for a road trip to see a stone move. I'm here with Peter. Yeah, um, I know very little about what I'm doing here, but I'm in the middle of nowhere looking at a lump of rock in the dark, but apparently something amazing is going to happen. That's what I've been told. You're perfectly safe because we are here for the first time with a special guest. We've never done this on the show from the Lawmen podcast. Say hello. Hello, I'm James Shakeshaft. If you haven't heard the Lawmen podcast, we have spoken about it a bit before. Uh, check it out. We both come from the same part of the world, and very close to our part of the world are these stones. We are in a place called Enston, and we are here at about half past ten on calendar Midsummer Eve because the legend has it that one of these stones is going to turn 
into something that moves and take itself off for a drink. Have I got that roughly right? Yeah, I don't know about turning itself into something that moves. All I know is that one of the stones goes down to the stream for a drink on Midsummer's Eve at midnight. Now, we were debating this on the car on the way over because I said, does it does it jump? Does it yep. walk? Yep. I, I wondered, we did a, an episode a while back on Japanese yokai and there was a futon that managed to walk on its corners and I wondered if it kind of shuffled down to the stream rather than kind of floated. I'd like to see that. So what are you expecting? If, it, if this really does happen, in your mind's eye, what does it look like? I don't know. I'm, I'm halfway between a sort of a sack race vibe where it kind of hops <laughs> or, yeah, move in the big fridge where you sort of pivot it from one corner nice. to the other like that. Um, oh, yeah, to you, to me. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where the stream is, though. I think it's quite far away. I can't see any streams around here. Can you hear a stream? No. So it's got to go quite away. I hope some mist is involved. I don't know why, but I just do. What, what sort of like magic? One minute it's there, the next minute yeah, it's disappeared. It, it kind of teleports there, has a quick drink. The only, re- the only way you know it's been down there is it's wet when it comes back. There is another tale to do with that. When it goes for this walk, it uncovers a treasure that is buried underneath where it is. However, if you try and steal that treasure, it comes back and squashes you. What's the treasure? Just general treasure, I think. Gold and that. Nobody knows. They've always been squashed before they can tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Now It's now covered in flat skeletons. (laughs) Now, because this is um, obviously an audio experience, which is why we're talking into this device in the middle of kind of nowhere... We should probably describe how big these things are. They are not small. Um, James is a very tall gentleman, and the largest stone here, I would say, is it's like a U and a third, so it's probably like seven and a bit feet tall, would you say? Maybe eight? Oh, I'd, I'd, yeah, I th- I'm six foot four, so let's, I'm going to go stand next to it. So I reckon it's about six foot four wide, and eight, nine, nine foot, I'd say. Nine foot high. Yeah. That's the that is much, yeah. I'm not very good at estimating, am I? That is much taller than you, yes. A lot taller than me, yeah. I can't reach the top with my outstretched hand. So, so that one, the big one we're just talking about, that is supposed to be the horse, right? That is the horse, and then the man is next to it, which is, uh, I guess, five eleven. Would I say? Yes, probably. Yes. Quite chunky, five eleven. Quite wide. And then there's a dog at its feet. None of these things look like a horse, a man, or a dog, but in terms of proportions, they're yeah, probably Yeah, that quite is good. the size of an Alsatian. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and what is quite amazing is that these things are in kind of the middle of nowhere. We're kind of in a forest. You would drive past this and not even know that it's here. Is that a, is that a clown there? This, James has just uncovered some toys. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. got the the man stone seems to have a sort of cup holder uh, in it, and within that cup holder, some people have left some things. Oh, they look a bit spooky, actually. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything spooky about them, but somebody's obviously left them there to freak us out. And there's a spider, I think, crawling over one of them, which just adds to the spooky vibe. Oh, well, that's what? just perfect. One of them looks like a beefeater playing an accordion. 
I told you, that's very scary. <laughs> One of the spookiest images, isn't it? It's up there with it yeah. from the film. Yeah. Yeah. You've yeah. obviously seen Accordion Beef Eater yeah. too. Yeah. You, have the, you have the Victorian woman in the white dress. You have the monk in the kind of dark habit. And then you've got the Beef Eater playing an accordion. They're the classics. Mm. <laughs> the triptych of terror. <laughs> now, James, you're clutching something there that looks intriguing. What have you got? I've got a dusty old tome called The History of Spellsbury by E. Corbett. Now, Spellsbury's close by, is it? Spellsbury is the kind of the, the parish, I think, that we're in. Oh, OK. And it has a little... This When is this book from? This is a very old book. It's from the Kingstone Press, printed in Long Compton in 1931. Long Compton Fact Fans is near the Rollwright Stones and was famously one of the most witch-infested towns in the Cotswolds. Thick with witches, it was. Thick, couldn't move. Couldn't move for witches. And there's a little write-up on the stones in here. uh, Oh, and pictures. Oh, and some lovely pictures. Yeah, there's the other stones that are around here. There's the Thor Stone at Taston, the Hawk Stone at Dean... I've actually made a few little films of these stones, um, which you can find on the Law Menu YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Podcast. L-O-R-E. L-O-R-E, yes. It's a pun that doesn't work in any accent. <laughs> so, where's the bit where I'm going to tell you about? Okay. A curious legend is that it is impossible to move the stones, so firmly are they set in the ground. As a matter of fact, this is far from being true, as they are not at all securely embedded, and the wonder is that so many of them have remained upright. Possibly a dim idea that it would be unlucky to uproot them has survived down the centuries, long after anybody could really remember they were graves. And perhaps the idea of the difficulty of moving them has also come down from the time when our far-off ancestors, when our far-off ancestors with their makeshift ropes and small oxen, must have had a tremendous struggle to get them into place. Did you just throw something there, Pete? No. Something just fell down. Something did just fall down, although we are under trees. We're beneath the tree, yes. But we're also next to a stone that's supposed to move. So, you know. It doesn't seem to have shifted. The uh, accordion playing beef eater is, <laughs> remains unmoved. <laughs> although it is on its back. Is playing a C. Um, the most curious tale of all is one of the most common, that at midnight or at cockcrow, the stones run round the field or go down to the river to drink. It's sometimes added that treasure is buried under them, but if you go to get it while the stone is away on one of its midnight flittings, it returns at once and crushes you. <laughs> at once. At once. <laughs> so... Uh, here are some of our tales. Enston was originally called Entestan, which is Saxon for the giant stone. And the horse stone there is often called the old, so- the old soldier. Oh, and very regional. The old soldier. <laughs> Miss Hollings of Charbury says a maid she had from Enston told her it was supposed to go down to the village for a drink on Midsummer Eve. It did not seem certain that it was a drink of water it went for. So it's off down for a Not certain. Lash. Could be on the lash. But the pubs are shut. Yeah, at midnight as well. Do, does it like its drinks on the rocks? Oh, oh. very nice. Very nice indeed, sir. That is very strong. 
uh, and Mr. Oscar Hitchcock says that they kid the boys at Lidston, which is a little hamlet just over yonder, uh, by telling them that when the stone hears the clock strike 12, it goes down to the water and drinks. And it's just a catch, because there's no clock in Lidston that strikes. But it's the... It is a catch tacked on to a tale that has been told in the village for many thousands of changing years. This is this is a work that has been in preparation of for at least a thousand years. Now, but people have been interested in these stones. As you say, it's like a rich area for you know these these standing stones. And and a lot of people think standing stones is kind of well, everyone thinks Stonehenge, everyone thinks Avebury. Not many people think of well a peculiar little side walled-off area in the middle of nowhere. But there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. Did I? I was I was just telling these guys before I came out, I was put onto something called um, the Dragon Project, right. which uh, it was formed in a pub in Liverpool Street in London in 1977. And it was a group of men who believed that there was more to standing stones than perhaps met the eye. And they actually based their investigations just up the road at the roll right stones and they were using geiger counters and um, various rf frequency devices to listen to what was happening at the stones overnight and they claimed to have caught some things they can't explain however this is 1977 and these are geiger counters that were very expensive and all of those people who were involved in it sort of started getting quite carried away and started believing they were seeing things that they probably weren't. But they were putting it down to things like earth energies and all of the ley lines that um, people talk about. And at one point, an actual real dragon. And it all became a bit ridiculous. But it's a, it's a way of explaining how this has caught people's imagination. Because they are a weird thing to see, aren't they? Yeah, they're like, obviously, they're not, they're not as visually stunning as Stonehenge, but they are. I think, I think the Rollwhite Stones are older than Stonehenge. Yes, They've, considerably. Cer- yeah. Certain parts of them are thousand or more years older than Stonehenge, and you just you've got to wonder why they're here. And it's just amazing the stories that people come up with. But also, what were they actually for? What genuinely, what were they? Were they because the Rollwhite Stones weren't all a burial mound i think one part of it is potentially a dolmen or whatever yes yeah no we don't know no and that's i guess that's the thing people just come up with their stories yes because the roll right stones they have got the whispering knights i think there's three whispering knights yes yeah so the main story of the roll right stones is the main circle is called the king's man and then down uh one side of the hill there are three stones called the whispering knights and then across the road is another stone on its own called the King Stone. And the story is that there was an army and um, they were marching and a witch turned up and said, Seven long strides thou shalt take, and if long Compton thou canst see, King of England thou shalt be. And the king took these strides and then a mound of earth rose up in front of him, which is a long burrow that's still there, obscuring his vision of Long Compton, and the witch turned up and said, stand up stick and stand still stone. Stand up stick and stand still stone. King of England, there shall be none. Um, Whore stones, your... What is it? Your men... Um, 
in essence, your men horsestones shall be, and I myself an elder tree. And she's meant to turn into a tree, which if you cut it on certain nights of the year, it's meant to bleed. I think maybe even midsummer. And um, there, and then all the men turned to stone. The king turned to stone, and there was there was a small group of conspirators called the Whispering Knights who were set off to the side, conspiring against the king, and they also turned to stone. Sick burn. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. I, I think I saw the Whispering Knights. It- Butlins in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> How many prog projects can we get into an hour? It's the stones. I think what's amazing about these stories are, especially with the midsummer connection, because if we go with these legends, there's stuff happening like right now or in the next few hours all the, all the way over this county, right? Yeah, that's the, right, yeah. <laughs> mounds going up, trees, bleeding trees. We've got the... Bleeding run- trees. <laughs> <laughs> bleeding trees. You can't, you're not allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> one, of the, one of the strange phenomena that is associated with them in modern day, and I found actually quite a few tales of people saying that this had happened to them is watches changing time losing time more specifically and that is both digital and analog watches so there's um i found a whole load of people on reddit talking about it and then i found some people who'd spoken about it in a book and that appears to be a thing but i think that's also associated with crop circles and things and also cheap watches so i think it's very (laughs) hard to say with any certainty anything weird happens but we would connect into that the kind of geiger counter stuff the electrical currents or you know that there is that side to it which again you you wouldn't necessarily think would be a direct connection with this kind of legend i guess no that's right um by the way you'll have to excuse the cars going past Uh, we are in the middle of nowhere but people saw fit to build roads very close to a lot of these ancient monuments in fact you were talking about the roll rise i think it's absolutely awful they put a road right in between the formation yeah right but yeah between the the kingstone and the Whisp- uh, the kingstone and the king's men and the whispering knights there's a road which was going to get extended and i think there was a petition to stop that road getting widened i think and i believe the rollwright trust have now bought the land that the kingstone is on so i think that means that they don't they don't have to make the road any bigger that's good because otherwise i mean it's terrible like you go visit avebury and someone's built a road right through the middle of that. Well, someone's built a village right in the middle of it. They have, yeah. And, and, and some worker's going to have a terrible shock when they chop down that tree to make way for the road, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, th- what we're going to do is... Um, so we've promised you for, for at least two years that our first road trip would be coming to see a werewolf. But, um, yeah, not here. Not here. In Canada Chase. No, the one at Cannock Chase. Oh, yeah, I've heard yeah. of that one. Um, but we still haven't wrapped up well, the courage. We are going to do it. We are going to do it. I mean, I think one of the reasons is Ben insists on bringing large poo bags to collect scat, uh, scat from Scientifically werewolves. Cut, recovered scat. So, so basically what Ben wants me to do is travel to Cannock Chase in the middle of the night and collect poo, which, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, this is much better, to be honest, than that. Now, one thing that I have got, because after uh, this was a very awkward way of introducing the fact I bought a K2 meter with me, we, every, everybody knows we're not, uh, we're not a ghost hunting podcast or anything like that, and we, we have a sceptical side, but I do have a K2 meter, and I'm going to put it on the stones, so if anything does happen to transform itself, we might capture it with this K2 meter. I must say there's not a jot at the moment. 
Um, oh. Unless you bang it. We did try this a little bit earlier and got very excited, but we realised we were just picking up our mobile phone. So, um, yeah, we got overexcited for no reason, didn't we? So, <laughs> nothing doing at the moment, but there's time. There's time. This is also the first time we've recorded anything in time lapse. So I'm going to press pause on this record to you listening in the bath, in bed, scuba diving, whatever you're doing. This will be completely seamless. But for us, this is a chance for me to let my dog have a little wee and for us to recollect our thoughts and see whether we're going to watch this stone come to life. Did you see the noise? That was quite a weird noise we just heard. Yeah, big... It was like a growl <laughs> from the woods. So, as I promised, time has seamlessly passed for you. Since we last spoke to you, uh, British summertime is still in effect, but we wondered whether the, the stone wouldn't understand summertime. And so we thought maybe this thing will start walking at 11. It, it didn't. So... Um, Use your imagination to know that we are still three people, one dog, a torch, and some Neolithic stones. And for some unknown reason, we're still waiting for this thing to walk. But it is a good excuse to talk about like why we think these things hold so much fascination. And one of the things that I've always sort of been drawn to is when... Um, modern day sociologists, anthropologists talk about why people built things like Stonehenge. One of the explanations given is that it is a way of representing the ancestors and it is uh, it's not necessarily like a tomb to them, but it's a way of solidifying what it was that the ancestors brought to them. And I guess I will never know exactly how they did that or what their rituals were but i thought that's an interesting parallel with these stones that have been in sort of they've been given human characteristics by people who know them really to be stones and i thought that was a that was an interesting sort of line of thought yeah yeah uh, there's a i suppose an, a related thing that i've bit, i've looked into slightly which is um so Nuclear waste. Do you know? Oh, yes. I can't remember the name. Vitrification. Of, what's that? Sorry, I might not oh, know the right word. Sorry. Oh, uh, so um, when it's encased in glass. Sorry, was that not what you were thinking? Well, there was people were realize people at one point realized that the nuclear waste is going to be dangerous for a lot longer than thousands of years. A lot longer than any sort of current recorded medium is going to be. So they had to work out ways to keep people away from them in the few, in thousands of years' time when, you know, our, all our paper has disintegrated. So they sort of would... The ideas were that they would build sort of structures around them that would last out of stone that would, that would basically put people off going there. So they would, they would have, like... One of the ideas was, like sort of almost like a maze that led people down pathways and the nature of the architecture was forbidding and foreboding because they needed a way to keep people away from things in the future. And I doubt they had nuclear power in the past. And that's not what I think Stonehenge is for. But there is a little bit of me that thinks maybe these things were warnings, that they were they were bad places 
and they were trying to warn people off them. Like, you know, your classic sort of sci-fi trait we were talking about, the alien film, where there's that distress signal which they go to investigate because there's a natural curiosity, but then they realise that it wasn't an SOS beacon, it was a warning beacon to stop people from going there. And maybe, maybe it's something to do with that. Maybe these... Maybe we shouldn't be here. That is really intriguing. I hadn't thought of that. Well, one thing I was thinking, Ben, you were just talking about how long these stones have been here. So can you? I can't remember exactly what you said, but how many thousands of years of the stones we're looking at? About 6,000. Which is, that in itself is amazing. We're sat here, um, kind of, it's about half 11 at the moment. We're just waiting half an hour to see if this thing moves. But I'm looking at it right now and the light is shining on it and there's, there's almost these little quartz bits in it which are shining and reflecting. There is something really intriguing. We've just been sitting here for the last 20 minutes looking at a piece of stone. But when you realise how long it's been here, it's quite incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, David Attenborough would have been really young. Is you know That's the way to think about it. No, but it, but it is, it is weird. 6,000-ish years ago, a number of men like us were not sitting around um, talking about them. They were actually assembling them for what must have been a very good reason because that is not a small amount of energy required to put those things into a position which would have lasted for 6,000 years. I mean, our houses aren't going to last 6,000 years. So this is this has taken not only um, exertion but planning and craftsmanship, so uh, a good deal of thought, which is kind of awe-inspiring in its own right. It's... It's the it's the brick built barbecue, really, isn't it? <laughs> what, you think it's a good idea and then you look at it and go, Oh my god, that's an eyesore. <laughs> this better last six thousand years. <laughs> Enough time to do the chicken. Do you think because there's the there's the horse, there's the man, and there's the small dog? Do you think they just there was going to be three horses, and they went, oh, that's just too much hassle. <laughs> we'll just last one, just make it a small dog. It's fine. No one will notice. Yeah. <laughs> We've been assuming that um, somehow these things might interact with our technology to the point where, as I said, I've put a K two meter on here. One of the interesting things that I found, we spoke about how sometimes people lose time in these um in these circles or these these structures but i did come across a story james you were telling me about um the uh the roll right standing stones and you know there's that legend that you can't count the stones yes and so i found a a, a very earnestly written story from a man who said that his kids had been there on a school trip and they had learnt that legend that you couldn't count uh, the stones. I think it's that you can't count them... You can't count them three times and get the same number. Yes, that's right, yeah, yeah. And so his kids had said, like, this is true, this is true, we did it in school. And so he said, look, it's not true and we'll go down there and we'll prove it to you. So um, he gets a... A video recorder, this is in the 90s, takes a video recorder and gets one child to stand at a stone and then the other one to run around counting it. And he films it and says, right, when we get home, we've we've videoed all the stones and we can count them. And as you might have guessed, when they get home, nothing comes out on the video. It's just audio. And he's, he sort of says, oh, that's a mysterious interaction. I would tend to err on the fact of 
perhaps video recorders weren't as uh, advanced as they are these days. It's easier to make a mistake. But I like the idea that... I think that illustrates how these legends build. You know, a mistake like that happens and it adds to the law of, like, you can't count them. Yeah, I, I was worried. I was getting quite scared as to where that story was going to go. I thought you're going to be... They left one child at the start and then they went round and when they came... When they got home to check the video, there was one child too few. <laughs> But there, I think the roll rights that Baker did uh, bake a load of bread, a, lo- a load of loaves, and put each one on the stone as a way of sort of marking which ones he'd counted. But this, the um, apparently fairies came and nicked his bread. Now I read that one as well, and didn't you think as well? Rather than using delicious freshly baked bread as a counter, maybe just use something that is more freely available. I don't, I don't know, like a piece of paper with a number written on it. <laughs> the fairies ain't going to go for that. But, but it's another interesting point, isn't it? A lot of uh, literal fairy folk tales originate or have a place in standing uh, stone circles. In fact, in some parts of the world, they are called fairy circles. Yeah, and the, they're often associated with long burrows, which are meant to be... Um, fairy caves aren't they and you'll you'll have people go into them and eat a load of delicious loaves that the fairies have nicked from (laughs) well yeah but then you eat them and then you discover you've just been eating leaves or stones stones (laughs) yeah yeah that's always a trick well we are still what are we about 25 minutes away from it's like half an hour before this thing your car just turned itself on uh, okay, that was weird. That was weird. Are you sitting on a key? No, it's there in my pocket. Okay, well, that's quite weird. I mean, it's probably most likely that I did do that, but that did make me jump. Yeah, that did make me jump. For yeah, those of you listening in black and white, <laughs> the my car is um, it's about... 30 feet? 30 feet away, yeah. And um, just as I was about to turn the microphone off, it unlocked itself and sprang into life, which doesn't sound that scary apart from for some reason the people who engineered my car decided that the very best thing to happen would be for every single light that's fitted to it to immediately come on and illuminate full blast. So, yeah, that is slightly terrifying. Well, what would Um, be more terrifying if in a few minutes this stone moves, jumps into it and drives off because then we'll be left stranded here, right? (laughs) Joyrider. Yeah, joyriding stone from 6,000 years. It's a Neolithic joyrider. <laughs> that horse, that's not his horse. Yeah. He nicked yeah. the horse. Yeah. I think Neolithic joyrider performing with Megadeth next, next year. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> or it does sound like a Quentin Tarantino movie, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, actually. I put quite a watch. Now, the other reason I'm going to have to turn the microphone off and come back to you is that I seem to be the only person stupid enough to wear shorts and I'm getting eaten, so I'm going to move further away from this light um, and also check my dog isn't being eaten. Um, yeah. Well, but- the next time you hear from us, we'll either be telling you about the amazing uh, sight that we've just seen of a stone moving, or we won't. Or, or, or a car moving. Yeah. <laughs> Without me driving it. We'll check in with you soon. See you later. Now, whilst we were 
standing around these stones and you're back in the studio now because we didn't have the wherewithal to uh, do all the links while we were there. James had bought what he describes as a bunch of dusty old tomes and they were fantastic. And whilst we were waiting for this stone to become sentient, he told us some stories from the local area about other things that had happened. And this is a brilliant one about a UFO sighting from the 1600s. So this is The History of Chipping Norton, a new edition by Eileen Meads. First published in 1949, this edition, 1984. And this is Appendix 1, Strange and Wonderful News. Now, I thought of this because I was listening to your episode about historical, uh, paranormal, what's the word? Um, Sightings. Sightings, yeah. And so this is strange and wonderful news from Chipping Norton in the county of Oxon of certain dreadful apparitions which were seen in the air on the 26th July, 1610, at half an hour after nine o'clock at noon. Not sure of that. Nine o'clock at... Half an hour after nine o'clock at noon. Yeah. Does that mean at night? Oh, yes, I think, yes, yes, PM is what she means. Those are the words she's struggling for. Um, At nine o'clock at noon and continued till 11, in which time were seen appearances of several flaming swords, strange motions of the superior orbs with the unusual with the unusual sparkling of the stars, with their dreadful continuations, with the account of the opening of the heavens and strange appearances therein disclosing themselves, with several other prodigious circumstances, not heard of in any age, to the great amazement of the beholders, as it was communicated in a letter to one Mr. Colley, living in West Smithfield, and attested by Thomas Brown, Elizabeth Greenway, and Anne Guthridge who were spectators of the dreadful apparitions. And if any one would be further satisfied of the truth of this relation, let them repair to Mr Nightingale's at the Bear Inn in West Smithfield, and they may be satisfied. (laughs) Such is the title of a rare old broadside, which may be found in the British Museum. And there follows a description of the apparitions. Now, the description is a lot shorter than the title. <laughs> to be honest, then they've given away quite a lot of what happens right, in That's that title. Like doing a YouTube description and then having a three-second video. Yeah. <laughs> there issued great sheets of flame or glances of lightning without thunder. There were strange alternations in the motions of the stars. In the western part of the heavens, the skies opened and a perfect flaming sword pointed to the east. It was of prodigious size and twirled round and round. The golden stars seemed all in clusters, as if set in battle array. Hot flashes descended and ran along the ground. The skies unfolded, and another sword, in appearance five yards long and of a bloody colour, appeared, the stars swiftly shooting around it, the stars swiftly shooting round about it in an unwanted manner. That's amazing. That's interesting. So what year was that? 1610. So that's a UFO sighting, basically, from 1610, sounds like. Yeah. Also interesting that this, it's describing stars moving around mm. the object. So it's, it's like sparks, mm. maybe. Yeah. That reminds me of like the description of the Nuremberg incident that mm. we were talking about. 
it also reminds me when we did the um, episode on the Grim Reaper, those kind of those sightings of what oh, people thought were the yeah. Grim Reaper, but were actually seemed like they were UFOs. Yeah, that's a that's around that time as well. Chipping Norton as well. That's yeah. amazing. That's only down the road. Yeah, and also uh, in the county of Oxford, nigh Chipping Norton, was found about this time, thirteen forty nine, a monstrous serpent having two heads with faces like women, one being so shaped as to resemble the new time of those days and the other to represent the old antiquated and another and the other to represent the old antiquity and the other to represent the old antiquated fashion. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> it had also great and large wings, but something like that of a flitter mouse or bat, as authors have reported. And that's, yeah, that's 1349. I don't really understand what they're trying to say there. The face of the present times and the face of olden times. Yeah, I guess... Oh, a young face and an old face. Maybe you're just like so a snazzy hairdo and an old, and like a mullet, maybe, or something. Oh. Why can't they just say half past nine and an old person? <laughs> <laughs> they've, got, they've got pamphlets to fill. Yeah, they're being paid by the word. They really are. Just word of the title as well. So, can we have a time check? Where, where, what time are we at now? We've got to be close, haven't we? To, we to the witching hour. It's uh, 47. Yeah, so, so 13 minutes. minutes. Just going to have a look at the stone while we're here. Still there? Still there. Haven't seen any movement so far. I, weirdly, I feel slightly tense, though. Mm. It's not like I believe this stone is going to move to be completely honest but i still have a little bit of tension going on i don't know about you ben before we left (laughs) um yeah i do as well i think it's because it's gone quiet and that is down to the time of day i think it's is i think it's also because we've been putting a lot of expectation into this it's almost like on christmas eve you still you don't expect to see santa but you wouldn't be as surprised to see Santa as you might think that you would be. Mm. So if that thing does start to just move a little bit, I I, I think I probably... No, I still would be surprised. I, I would be surprised. you expecting any movement? I don't know. I think even just a little bit is, is quite a lot, yeah. to yeah. be honest. Even if it just, like, nods towards the water or says, can I have a drink, please? I'm parched. <laughs> Well, I couldn't lure it out with wine earlier, so I'm not sure that's going to work. But we will rejoin for the witching hour to see if this thing actually moves. We'll see you then. So we're here. Welcome back. I'm still here. I'm still here with the with the quantum mechanics from the Quantum Mechanics podcast. Hello. Hello. Uh, stone in the background. There's a box of miniature heroes there because presumably it hasn't eaten for a year. Yeah. So, well, it didn't like the wine, so we thought we'd try chocolate. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're just gonna sort of hang and see what happens. What is it gonna go? Uh, ben, you said even if it moved just a little bit, you'd yeah. be surprised. Yes, me too. Uh, just any sort of indication of any level of anything would be great. Even even a small grunt. Have you got... A, oh, can we get a proper, yeah, yeah, we got we a proper get a time yeah. countdown? This is like um, Jules Holland. It is, yeah. This was filmed in May. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is the world's worst hooter daddy. <laughs> We've still got five minutes. We've got f- five minutes to fill. Yeah. Oh, geez. God. We peaked too early, haven't we? Yeah. Still, this stone's putting in a better performance than insert name of people we don't <laughs> like. So, um, any questions while we're here? We've what have we what have we heard? We've heard a screech owl. So, yes, we had we had a weird incident with Ben's car where it turned itself on for no well, it unlocked itself for no reason, and all the lights came on, which was a little bit spooky. That was pretty spooky. It did. It did. I still. I still think it might have been user error with the key, but it did scare me for a few minutes. Yeah, and me. We were, we were shocked into silence. We have a two-minute warning on the stone. Two minutes. Two minutes, guys. Look out for movement. Okay. Now, am I right in thinking you were saying the... this thing could suddenly get up and start dancing around the field? Is that what we're expecting here? It's either going to dance around the field or go for a drink. Ben is just popping, you're popping some sort popping of... Popping the K2 meter on K2 top. K2 on top. Just in case there's some activity at midnight. I want to see it run around the field. That is what I want. I wonder if it is going for a drink, does it know the landlord for a lock-in? Yeah. And... Can we go? Is it buy-in? Yeah. What's the time now? What are we on? 58 and a half, so we've got one and a half minutes. Rebecca Dunn... You make a very good que- good point, very good question. Will it have legs? Do you think it's going to turn into we- a person or is it going to maintain its stone uh, I shape? think it'll... Shuffle. Uh, yeah, well, I think it'll jump like it's in a sack race. Okay, yeah, those are the two sort of main options. Um, I want some mist. It's, oh, you want mist? I want mist. It's like either... it's stars in their eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tonight, Matthew. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be a rock. Guy. It's either going to sort of... Hopper, hop down in still in stone form. We both, we all think it's going to maintain its stone format, right? I yes. Think so, yeah. so it's either going to sort of hop down like it's in a sack race or it's going to sort of waddle down like it's a big fridge. Um, <laughs> big fridge. We had a good question as well um, from VM. Simply, what's the plan if it goes? Are we going to follow it or are we going to stay? Oh, that is a good question. That, I, we haven't thought that far ahead, have we? Um, it depends how quickly it moves yeah we've got two cars we can chase it yeah what if it nicks your car maybe that's what the beeping earlier yeah. was it's it was just a just... joyride off yeah maybe it is a joyriding monolith oh, hold on we've got 15 seconds okay trying to count I'll us do down us, from I'll 10 do, I'll, I'll do the 10 so we're coming up to 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 one move. Nope, nothing. Not even some smoke. The meter's not going, is it? No. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. It, it is at this point that I should say. This is only one of the two Midsummer Eves. You actually get two Midsummer Eves right. in a year, guys. Um, and, and I've had a bit of a weird feeling because you were talking about other stones that could be active. Yeah. We could be sitting here and there's another set of stones that are just having yeah, a Yeah, the Rollwright stones are having a rave up. Yeah, and we're here. Um, yeah, also the other Midsummer Eve was two nights ago. Um, so we might, we might be 48 hours us. too late. Um, so what you mean we just 
three adult men <laughs> in, <laughs> waiting for a stone to move and we're two days too late. Yeah. No, but I don't think we are because those those things in its cup holders, they've been there longer than two days. You can tell that by the cobwebs. That's a very good point. That They might have pick, been picked up. So this could... But, this could be the day, maybe. It's just a bit shy. Maybe it's, again, just a bit shy. No. Okay, well... It was worth a try. It was worth a try. Um, if you saw one of the previous um, lives from tonight, um, you uh, would have seen that there is a legend that when it moves, there is a treasure underneath. And um, I think we can all agree that the true treasure is the content we've made along the way. Yeah, and the comradeship. <laughs> yeah, the loving hearts. Oh, yeah, there's also loving the hearts. Loving hearts. Yes, yes, oh, yes. and the miniature heroes. Well, um, maybe that is mm. the true treasure. I think we'll leave it a miniature hero as a little gift, because yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, it's done its work, and there is no way I'm getting a stone to sign a release form. <laughs> Cabries will never pay us now, will they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well... We've been bought. This has just been an elaborate advert for Cadbury's Miniature Heroes. We've been bought out by Big Miniature Hero, <laughs> Big Chocolate. That's basically bought us out. So your new catchphrase is a glass and a half. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, um, thank you, everyone, for at least coming with us on this journey. Well, maybe not this time. Maybe next time. Meet here again in a year, guys. Yeah. Maybe we'll come two days earlier. Maybe we'll camp for like three days just to be sure. Really make sure. Rockfest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. I like it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, Well, the witching hour passed. Nothing Nothing happened. But it is fun to... It's always fun to hear the stories. Um, And it's always nice to meet new friends. We'll, um, We'll see you back in the studio. Thanks for being with us, James. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining me on this adventure. Yeah, no, it's been great. It's been great. Okay, we've not seen the stone moved, but I feel them. part of my heart has moved. That sounds wrong. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like a medical yeah. Right. Let's go to the hospital. <laughs> right, we'll, uh, we'll do the JR, and uh, if all goes to plan, uh, we'll finish this show back in the studio. Well, we're back in the studio now. Um, yeah, uh, we, we really didn't need to put a spoiler alert at the start of this that this stone wasn't going to move. So we didn't actually get to see this thing move. But I had a really good night. I don't know about you, Ben. It was nice to tell some tales. The anticipation of a, of a, a, a solid stone or group of stones moving, I, I, it was fun. It was really fun. And I think what I most enjoyed about it uh, aside from the mcdonald's beforehand and uh getting to to spend some actual in-person time uh with you and talking about uh the stories it was brilliant to spend some time with james his podcast is really interesting and whereas we sort of uh major on like stories and we then sort of randomly debate whether there's any uh, validity to them James has got an encyclopedic knowledge of the folklore around these things and then when it comes to something like whether a stone is going to come to life or not I think we made a really good team and I loved his enthusiasm 
and passion and knowledge and uh it was it was just a lovely lovely evening james thank you for organizing it was your it was your idea uh really loved it and it was i i just had a brilliant time the only downside was the fact that i got to bed about three o'clock in the morning and i had a nine thirty work meeting but that's all fine yeah that was yeah no but it was and, and it's also just for our, for our avid listeners out there it has kind of g'd me and ben up to do a few more excursions out into the wild and and out from the safety of our studio so uh, we'll be doing more of that over the next few months um before we go ben uh we've got some sad news haven't we so um i'll I'll let you explain but uh yeah we 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 recorded this thing on friday night and then we got some a thursday night i'm sorry we recorded this thing on thursday night and then we got some sad news on the Friday, which uh, Ben, you're going to share with us. Yeah. So it would be, oh, I would guess, I don't know when it was. Maybe it was more than a year ago anyway that we spoke to the amazing Gerard Williams about his research into how Hitler had escaped the bunker in 1945. And then an ongoing, I guess you would describe it as a, nazi criminal enterprise that was being run out of argentina he was fascinating and i was really drawn to his story and as part of my job i develop stories for audio and television and i had actually picked up with him and i was developing another show with him um and uh this was something that was it was ongoing it was in the background i hadn't mentioned it to any of our listeners because this is this was a a pure work thing and then i discovered that he passed away this friday so the day that well you know the very morning that we were leaving the stone was part of his last day on earth and i'm incredibly sad about this he was a man of integrity honor knowledge he became incredible credible journalist incredible journalist he became a friend a really good friend and i really admired him for everything that he had achieved and so i wanted to dedicate this episode to him anybody that's ever come across his work i would encourage you if you haven't to read his books watch his film he he brought with him something that very few people in our space do, which is an absolute passion for the truth. And I just hope that he has found that truth now, wherever he is. And um, I, I lift a glass to you, Gerard. You were, you were a wonderful guest. You were a brilliant friend. And I'm so sad we won't ever get to finish the project we were working on. But... Um, this whole episode is for you, Gerard Williams. 